Hey, we're finishing up our series in the book of Judges, and at the end of Judges, we're kind of left with a pessimistic outlook on the people of God. They're left in the gray zone, which we've talked about from the beginning. The gray zone is this time between Moses and Joshua and the kings. And really, at this point, there's no clear way out. We're not left with some type of marvelous verse about God's rescue and his salvation and the people of Israel just filled with hope and joy. But there's no, even though there's not that, but there's also not a story of Israel's like full-scale repentance. It's pretty pessimistic. That, and that within two generations after Joshua, Israel fell into radical corruption. And just when you think it can't get any worse, it does. Time and time again. So the last pages of Judges include rape and abuse, murder, lies, civil war, and human trafficking. All in the last pages of Judges. So what hope did Israel have? Only that God was still with them. The fact that Israel doesn't implode and that Israel still exists is by God's grace. And God was with them, and he desired to forgive them. And we're left with one verse, though, that gives us just a glimmer of hope. Judges 21, 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. It doesn't seem hopeful on its face. It doesn't seem to be a glimmer of hope on its face But four times, from about chapter 17 to the end, we read, there was no king in Israel. And it's not a mistake that the closer we get to the end of the book, the more we're reminded of this reality. That the more radically corrupt Israel becomes, the more obvious their need for a king becomes. And their hope as a nation is attached to a coming king. And the king they need to put their hope in is God, their heavenly king. But Israel ends up putting their hope in earthly kings time and time again who fall short and bring them down with them. And the same is true for us. Only the heavenly king, Jesus, is worthy of our hope. Only Jesus only our heavenly king. And my fear is, and the reason why I put this before you today, is my fear is that you and I hope in earthly kings who will fail. And when they do, they'll bring us down with them. But the heavenly king will never fail us. Our heavenly King Jesus will never fail us. So you and I have to decide who's worthy of our hope. Either our our earthly kings or our heavenly king. Which one is worthy of our hope? Young people, in ancient times, kings were responsible for certain things. Fighting wars, making treaties, Things like that, taking taking care of the temples of their gods, whatever it may be. But many cultures actually saw their king as God. 
or as a man who is inhabited by a certain God's personality and power. So if you've seen Disney's Moon Knight, anybody see that series, Moon Knight? All right. One of you, two of you. Great. Fantastic. This is, this is going to be awesome for all of the rest of you. It's based on this, this belief. In this series, we see the Egyptian god Khonshu carrying out his will through Mark slash Stephen. Now, if you don't know why I'm saying Mark slash Stephen, you need to watch the series. I'm not going to spoil anything for you, but for some reason, I say Mark slash Stephen, and at the end, slash Jake, but that's a whole other thing for another day. But Mark slash Stephen is Conchu's avatar, and so Mark slash Stephen does the god Conchu's bidding as, look at the next slide, Moon Knight. And Moon Knight does what Conchu wants him to do is to bring vengeance on evildoers and protect the vulnerable. So in many ways, Mark slash Stephen slash Jake slash Moon Knight is Conchu on earth. So ancient kings were basically seen as gods on earth. All the surrounding cultures of the Israelites believed that their kings were gods on earth, but the Hebrew and Israelite understanding was different, that the king and God were distinct. And even though God appointed the earthly king over Israel, the true king was God. And we see this in 1 Samuel. Samuel, who actually is Israel's last judge, so the last judge of, ju- of the judges period is not in Judges, it's in 1 Samuel. Go home and impress your friends with that. But Samuel was righteous, but his sons were greedy, and we're told they perverted justice. So what Israel does, they realize this, right? They're like, okay, we, we can't really continue this judges thing. Once Samuel dies, we're going to be left with his sons, and they're a mess, and we're going to all be in big trouble. So they get together, and they come to Samuel, and they say, we want out of this judges business. We don't want this anymore. All of the surrounding nations have kings. Give us a king to judge us. We don't want judges. We want kings. And Samuel's upset. It's kind of funny. Samuel's upset, and he takes this personally, that they're rejecting him. But listen to what God says in 1 Samuel 8, 7. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people and all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected who? Me. God. From being king over them. See, in the rejection of Samuel... Israel was really rejecting God, Yahweh, as their king. But God loves us enough to give us what we want, even if it may not be good for us, because we want it. So he gives Israel a king. But he warns them that a king will take their sons as soldiers, take their daughters as laborers, take a share of their crops for his servants, and their servants and donkeys for his work, 
He'll take a share of their flocks and they ultimately will be slaves to their earthly king. And what does Israel do? They go, well, yeah, that, actually, that's not what we bargained for. We're, we're not going to take kings now. We'll stick with the judges thing. That's, that's what we prefer. No. Verse 18 of chapter 8 of 1 Samuel. And in that day you will cry out because of your king whom you have chosen. This is Samuel saying, for yourselves. But what will happen? The Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refuse to obey. So now, not only is the king going to do all this, but God won't listen to you if you cry out to him when the king turns on you. But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, no, but there shall be a king over us. Their hope wasn't in their heavenly king. It was in an earthly one. So what happens is Saul, the Benjaminite, which we know from Judges, the Benjaminites aren't the best crew to be hanging out with is appointed as the earthly king. As we look at earthly kings, Israel tried to have earthly kings before Saul. In Judges, if you remember the story of Gideon, they want Gideon to be king. But Gideon, in his false humility, rejects the role. Even though he's like, I'll take all the benefits of being king, I just don't want the responsibility of being the king. Abimelech, his son, though, does become king, but he shows no loyalty to his people. And what does he do? He murders his brothers. Not really the first guy you want in charge. Yet their hope is still in a king. Now, I think it might be funny as they talk about hope in a king and that we need to have hope in a king. It, it may be kind of funny and feel funny to us because even though I know that some of you guys are enamored by the royal family in the UK. I'm, I'm just not. Like most of us probably just could care less about what, what they do. We don't care about their opinions on anything. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't make a difference to me. I don't care what they say at the UN. It doesn't matter to me. We're Americans, right? Death to tyrants and all things like that, right? But whether we may admit it or not, we do put our hope in earthly kings or earthly rulers. So whatever name you call the earthly king, mayor, governor, congressperson, justice, or president, we put our hope in earthly kings and earthly rulers. But even though we shouldn't put our hope in them, what God does, God's gracious and in his grace, he's still at work, even in the things we put our hope in, other than him. Did you catch that? God is so gracious, and he's so gracious that he, in his grace, he works within the things that we put our hope in, even if it's something different than him. He still, in his grace, does that. So God's grace is at work in earthly kings in many ways, the Bible tells us. But three I want to focus on for our time today. First, the Bible tells us that earthly kings are appointed by God. Secondly, they have a special relationship with God. And thirdly, they have the power to enforce the standards of God. So first, earthly kings are appointed by God. So Paul picks this up in Romans 13. Follow along on the screens. 
Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from who? God. And those that exist have been instituted by who? God. Therefore, whoever resists, the authorities resist what? Who? God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. God appoints all leaders, all rulers, all kings. And listen to me, even the bad ones. Even the bad ones. And now really listen, listen to me. Even the ones you wouldn't choose. God appoints them. That's what Paul says. So your argument's not with me, it's with the Bible. See, the ruler that the Apostle Paul refers to as being appointed by God wasn't a kind, benevolent ruler. It was Caesar Nero, who's like one of the worst Caesars on record. He was known for even doing horrible acts against churches and Christians to the point where he would set up their bodies and burn them as torches in his gardens. Like this dude, is, he, Ciro, like Caesar Nero is sick. He's a sick man. He's evil. And Paul still says, God appointed him. God Which also means, side note, authority is a good thing. Or at risk of being cheesy, authority is a God thing. God created authority for our good, Paul says. Now, if you're like me, don't really like authority. Like, I'm a Philly kid. I don't like anybody telling me what to do. Right? No one likes us and we don't care. Right? My initial gut response to someone tell me what to do is to do the opposite. Right? Anybody else feel that way? Yeah? Now, by God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, I have grown in this area, but I'll tell you, I don't like it at all. I don't like that God has been growing me in this area because it just doesn't feel good to me. But I recall this one time when I was taking a flight with Pastor Steve Huber, the director of the Liberty Communion of Churches. And another pastor. And I, by God's sovereignty and divine grace on my life, gave me an aisle seat. An aisle seat. Put my legs out. Just got to pull my knees in when the cart goes by, right? That's it. That's all I got to do. Otherwise, it's comfortable. It's a great seat to have. And Pastor Steve, he's a big guy. He's tall. He's kind of a broad guy. Like He's, like, he's a manly dude. And the other pastor comes to me and he says, hey, you should give Steve your seat. And I was like, no. <laughs> I was like, this is my seat. God, it would be wrong. For, God gave this to me. It would be wrong for me to give it up. He's a grown man. He could sit in his assigned seat. God has appointed a certain seat for Steve. And who am I to argue with God? But I begrudgingly gave Pastor Steve my seat. I didn't like it, but I did it. And it's a funny illustration, but I thought about later, what does that actually reveal about my heart? What's your response to authority reveal about your heart? 
Do you see authority as a good thing or as a God thing? Young people, if you can believe it, there was a time where we weren't able to choose our leaders and vote on them. And Paul says, you know the emperor in Rome? You know how evil he is? You know how you didn't choose him? God did. So don't resist him. Be subject to him. See, there may be presidents, judges, congresspersons, and mayors I think are evil. I wouldn't have chosen them. But they were appointed by God nonetheless. And I need to remember that. My heart's the problem in my relationship with them. Whatever that relationship looks like. And God calls me not to resist them, which the word means not to oppose them, not to set yourself up against them, but to be subject to them, to listen, to obey. So earthly kings are appointed by God, but earthly kings also have a special relationship with God. So for time's sake, if you jump down to verse 4 of Romans 13, it says, for he is God's what? Servant. Here Paul claims that Caesar Nero, one of the most evil Caesars on record, has a special relationship with God as God's servant. The Israelites' kings had a different relationship. The Hebrew kings had a different relationship with God, but it was still a special one. They were appointed by God, but they also were treated and talked about as his adopted sons. So if you look at Psalm 2-7, the Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Now, this doesn't mean, don't take this to mean that all earthly kings or rulers are God's adopted sons. That's something special for, for the kings of Israel. And this verse, Christians for, long, for centuries have said, this applies to Jesus, the heavenly king. But it does mean that no matter how much authority earthly kings may think they have, they report up to someone greater than them. Earthly kings may be awesome or terrible in your mind, but they still report up. Our mayor may be awesome or terrible in your mind, but he reports up. Our president may be awesome or terrible in your mind, but he reports up. And we're called to be subject to them. And it's the role of God's people to remind earthly kings who they are, that they are God's servants. So that when an earthly king steps out of line and you, they don't do what God says they should be doing, it's up to us to remind them of what they're supposed to be doing. And we do this with love and with charity and understanding and in all humility, but it's our job to remind them so when Jesus stood before Pilate, he reminded Pilate that he wouldn't have authority unless God gave it to him. 
Jesus doesn't yell at him. He doesn't put up lawn signs with mean things that's about Pilate. But he says, you wouldn't have authority if God didn't give it to you. When earthly kings stepped out of line and promoted slavery of Africans in the United Kingdom, Christians like William Wilberforce reminded the king that he was out of line and worked to end slavery in the UK. When earthly kings promoted segregation in the South, Christians like Martin Luther King Jr. reminded mayors and governors and even the president that they were out of line. And they were out of line not only with the promises that America has made, but they're out of line with the promises that God has made and things that God has said. And he worked and he walked and he talked to bring about the civil rights movement. When earthly kings promote things like killing of children in the womb or treating immigrants poorly, Christians today remind God's servants who they are and how what they're doing is out of line and we work for the end of abortion and immigration reform. See, one of our roles of God, as God's people is to remind God's servants exactly who they are, his servants. But we have to do that in a way that honors God because, lastly, earthly kings have the power to enforce God's standards. Keep reading in verse 4 of Romans 13. But if you are wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. This is partially why the judges, the judges ends this way in their hope in this, this glimmer of hope in a king because everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes, that earthly kings, this earthly king would come and this king would come and he would have the power to enforce God's law, the power to enforce God's standards. And God uses our rulers, no matter how we feel about them, for the common good by enforcing God's standards, by keeping crime at bay or making sure the vulnerable aren't taken advantage of or ensuring that everyone is treated as image bearers, the image bearers that they are. And God in his grace actively, is actively involved in the daily life of earthly kings and their governments. So whether we realize it or not, whether they're good or evil, whether they're your choice or not, God is working through our rulers to enforce his standards. And the New Testament is so confident in this that Paul can say at the, in verse 7 of Romans 13, he says, Pay to all what is owed them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Or Peter can say, the Apostle Peter can say in 1 Peter 2.17, Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. So let me ask you, how are you doing with this? I put this before you today because if I'm honest, I'm already in like a mental fetal position for 2024. And I do care about how the world does this, but I'm more worried about what the church does with this. And more specifically, I'm more concerned about what liberty does with this. And I would just say as your pastor, 
whether you're here or you're listening on, watching online or listening on a podcast later, that I won't stand for it. I won't allow 2024 to destroy this church. I won't. Our elders won't allow it. We can't allow it. It's not the way of Christ. It's not the way of his church to be destroyed over human kings. Come on. I'm so concerned about what this will do to us that I'm already in this mental, fetal position for 2024. I'm already praying for 2024, not for who's going to be the president. I don't care about that because God doesn't really seem to care because he's got plans on plans on plans. I'm worried about you and I'm worried about me because I know the fighting happens, the division happens. I'm very quick to get cynical and frustrated and be like, forget you guys, I'm out of here. Because if I had to guess, most of us put our hope in earthly kings. How can Paul say, be subject to the governing authorities? How can Peter say, honor the emperor, one of the worst emperors on record? Because their hope wasn't in an earthly king. It was in their heavenly king, Jesus. So Psalm says this to us. It says in Psalm 146, Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. But blessed is he whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. See, when I put my hope in earthly kings, I'm headed straight for destruction. What's the psalmist saying? He's saying, stop trusting in earthly kings. He's saying, can they save you? Can they save you from your sin? No. Can they escape death? No. Like, we keep voting for presidents, like, in their 80s, guys. Come on. Like, seriously. Can they escape death? No. And guess what? The psalmist says, when they die, you know what goes with them? All their plans, all their promises go with them. So why do we get so upset when the rulers we don't choose are in power? They can't save us from our sins. They'll eventually die. Some of them sooner than later based on natural causes. And their plans will die with them. It's because we've put our hope in earthly rulers. That's why we get so upset. Because if our minds were on the Lord, if our hope was in the Lord, it doesn't matter what's happening. I give one of the worst rulers on record who's trying to kill me and set me up as a torch in his garden. And I can still say, my hope is in the Lord. I can still say, be subject. I can still say, don't resist. I can still say, honor. And this is hard. I'm not beat, trying to beat you up. I'm preaching to myself first. And I'm preaching to myself first because I know why I get so upset about all this. Because I put my hope in earthly princes and earthly kings and earthly rulers. Why? Because I like to be in control. And if all of this is in God's hands, 
and my hope is in him, and we have to be subject to governing authorities, and we have to show honor to our rulers, it means, guess what? I'm not in control. God desires us to be subject to earthly kings. And this is intended to bring us comfort. That's why he says it's intended to bring you comfort in his sovereignty over all things and to rest in his all-sufficiency. But what I want, what you want often, what we want together is we want to be in control. We want to control, have a control over our lives. And if we can't be in power ourselves, we can control. And we have this perception we can control who's in power. So we vote for people who we want to be in power because if we think if we choose them, we have control over them. But this will just drive us to anxiety, worry, and fear. Because we live in this constant state of worrying about having people in power that we didn't choose. Because that means we're not in control. And then what I want is not going to happen. And then we get angry, we get bitter, cynical, and some of us even get depressed. And what happens is our worlds implode. And in order to save our worlds, you know what we do? We take more control which often leads to complaining, nastiness, and what we've seen lately, violence. What other choice do you have if you're losing control? And control is the thing, and your hope is in earthly kings. Violence. It's the only option, eventually, guys. That's what it is. It's the logical conclusion. Does that sound like Paul's perspective? Does that sound like Peter? And what we see from Scripture is that earthly kings may have to empower to enforce God's standards, but truthfully, they don't have the will to enforce his standards, especially in their own lives. See, Saul, the king, allows his impatience eventually to get the best of him. And he performs a sacrifice to God when he's supposed to wait for Samuel to do it. And what does God do? He takes the kingship from him because of it. So he takes it away and he gives it to David. And David is the model king, right? He's the guy we're all looking for. He's probably the guy that judges, the author judges is referring to. But even he lacks the will to enforce God's standards in his own life. He selfishly desires Bathsheba. He takes her, impregnates her, and what's he do? Kills her husband. Even our own leaders have proven they don't have the will to enforce God's standards in their own lives. They've been, they have the God-given power to do it, but they don't have the will. And so it seems like every day we find out one of our politicians has a skeleton in the closet or has scandals following them wherever they go or has lied to us, stolen, is sexually promiscuous, or just plainly lacks character. God warned Israel, do not put your hope in earthly kings. You will become slaves to earthly kings. Don't do this. Put your hope in me. But when we put our hope in earthly kings, we get what comes with them. And when our hope is so locked in with our favorite earthly king, their downfall becomes ours too. 
So we have to learn to not put our hope in earthly kings, but put our hope in our heavenly king and experience the comfort that comes from his sovereignty. If your hope's in God and if your hope's in Jesus as the king, you're, you're comforted by his sovereignty and his all-sufficiency and you respond to earthly kings by being subject and showing honor to them and, but never putting your hope in them. See, we need a king. We need a king that's appointed by God with a special relationship with him who has the power and the will to enforce God's standards in our lives and in their life. And Judges shows us what happens when we don't have this. See, this king needs the will to, as Trent Butler says, show true humility unlike Gideon, true piety unlike Japheth, Japheth, Loyalty to people, unlike Abimelech. But also, we need a king who has godly patience, unlike Saul. Or has unselfish desires, unlike David. All earthly kings will fall short. And when we put our hope in them, our hope will fall short. But Jesus, the true king, the heavenly king, is the only one who's worthy of our hope. So Philippians 2, 3 to 11 says this. Do, not, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to our, his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Jesus, unlike Gideon, shows humility by emptying himself and taking the form of a servant. Jesus, unlike Jephthah, shows true piety by being obedient. Jesus, unlike Abimelech, shows loyalty to a people by dying on the cross for them. Jesus, unlike Saul, shows godly patience as he waits for the Holy Spirit to do his work. Jesus showed unselfish desires, unlike David, by leaving his eternal throne to be with us. He was appointed by God to proclaim the good news. He had a special relationship with God the Father as God the Son. And he not only had the power to enforce God's standards when he comes again, he'll have that power to judge the living and the dead, but he has the will to enforce it in his own life through his perfect obedience. And unlike earthly kings, Jesus can save you from your sins. His plans and his promises didn't die with him because he rose again. And in his resurrection ascension, he lives eternally in heaven with the Father. And now you and I are called to be like our heavenly King Jesus by reflecting him. Because if we're locked in to Jesus rather than our favorite earthly king, we're lifted up, we're not torn down. So we're called to reflect him in humility, in obedience, in loyalty to God's family, 
and patience and unselfish desires, and we're appointed by God to proclaim the good news to the world. And we have a special relationship because of Jesus. We have a special relationship with God as his children. And we're given the Holy Spirit to give us the power and to free our wills to enforce God's standards in our lives. Our only hope, the only person worthy of our hope is our heavenly King Jesus. Only hope in Jesus will bring you comfort rather than anxiety, fear, and worry. Only hope in Jesus will make you see the political horizon of 2024 and not go into a mental fetal position. Only hope in Jesus will keep you from seeking to control everything and everyone and to be subject and to show honor to earthly kings, even if they're evil or not the ones you would choose. So as I leave you today, as we conclude, let me just challenge you. Some of you are too deep into this. Some of you are too deep in your hope in earthly kings. And I'm not saying politics are bad. Not saying that. Please don't send me emails. Oh, you, what are we going to do if we don't have presidents and governors and mayors? I'm not saying that. So I tried to show you earthly kings, authority. It's a God thing. It's a good thing. It's a gift. But as Kevin DeYoung says, God's best gifts are the ones most apt to be twisted and perverted by the world, the flesh, and the devil. The devil goes right after God's best gifts. Right after them. So some of you just need to hit the eject button. I don't know what that looks like. You just got to hit the eject button. You're too deep in. Get out. Earthly kings cannot save you. And they will not save you. They will fail and they'll bring you down with them. Some of you may not be subject to governing authorities. Some of you may not be showing honor to our rulers in the way you talk about them, in the way you interact with them, and however you interact with them. And you just need to repent of that. What, whatever is going on in your heart, you need to repent of that. Even if you see their name, you're like, ah! And you say something, or if your heart says something. We need to, I, I need to repent of that. We all do. But many of us aren't too deep into this and we're just doing our best. But you have to make a commitment now to put your hope in the heavenly king or you'll be susceptible to being pulled into hope in earthly kings. If you don't make the commitment now, you're going to be susceptible to it. It's just going to happen. And I said my fear for you, my concern for you is that we may be falling and putting our hope in earthly kings and that will destroy God's church and it will destroy Liberty Church if we don't fight against it. But my hope for you, for all of us, is that our hope would be in the heavenly king and that we would all see that he's worthy of our hope.